Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Let's cut straight to the chase with some fairly terrifying numbers. During the early modern period of European history, that stretches from around 1450 to 1750, somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000 people, the overwhelming majority of them being women, were tried for the crime of witchcraft, and about half of these folks, 50,000, were executed, usually by being burned alive. But why, Ben? Why? <laughs> because they were suspected of being witches, Noel. Ah, uh, yes. The great witch panic of those years you mentioned. Yeah, the, the great 300-year uh, witch panic. Yeah, that was a big one. That's a big one. That was a big one. It was. Uh, that's why it's the great witch panic and hey. not the mediocre witch yeah, panic. Yeah, the other lesser witch panic. Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, let's give a shout-out to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Who, to our knowledge, has never, in fact, hunted witches? That's true, right, Casey? That is correct, yes. Uh, no witch hunting in my past. Casey on the case. That's good. That's good to know. Because it's not a very noble pursuit. No. Um, yeah, we read about it in history. Some of the most famous ones being like the Salem Witch Trials, the one that was famously depicted in The Crucible, the, the play mm. by Arthur Miller. And it typically involves a bunch of overzealous religious nuts looking for something that just is not there. <laughs> right. It's strange because I had studied this in the past. There's a book I want to recommend called The Devil in the Shape of a Woman, Witchcraft in Colonial New England. And one of the most interesting things about the witch hunting hysteria and the practice that continued 
for so long in Central Europe, well, most of Europe and in the colonial U.S. or what would become the U.S. is that in many cases, there were people who genuinely believed that some occult or supernatural event was occurring, but there were also people who were prosecuting these cases out of a more cynical, self-interested motivation because you see if you could prove that someone was a witch in uh, a lot of jurisdictions, their belongings and their estate would later go to you. I did not know that, Ben. So it was a way to disenfranchise women. Oh, not only disenfranchise women, it was a way to persecute women for uh, their sexuality. And a lot of the language in the, in the, uh, the book we're going to talk about today, the Malleus Maleficarum, revolves around women being temptresses in some way mm-hmm. or somehow using their sexuality to lure men to be tools of Satan in some way, making them more open to satanic influence. So it's a, in large part a way of punishing women for their sexuality because a lot of these men were either used to just um, controlling women in the form of a wife or in the form of being some sort of higher up in a community mm-hmm. and having expecting to be kowtowed to at all times members of the opposite sex and any sense that a woman had some kind of power that they could not understand or that maybe made them uncomfortable they wanted to kind of squash it. Absolutely, absolutely. And not even kind of. They definitively wanted this, uh, this status quo they had established to remain the same. The crime of witchcraft, as it was defined during this period of time, consisted of two main sort of branches. The first was the obvious one, the practice of harmful magic, using some sort of mysterious otherworldly power to bring misfortune on other people in your community. This could be um, the uh, infliction of a disease. Everybody gets sick. Let's blame that uh, elderly person who lives alone over by the edge of the woods. It could be the death of human beings or livestock. It could also, often, going back to your note about sexuality, Noel, it could be the crime of making men sexually impotent. So they're like, oh, I uh, I can't get aroused anymore. You know what? It's not me. It's that elderly person who lives alone <laughs> on the other side of town. Yeah, but it didn't have to be elderly at all, right? It could be anyone. It could be anyone. And these these hunts were incredibly extensive at times. In Germany in 1589, in a place named Quedlinburg, 133 women were executed in one day and there was a witch hunt in 1585 germany was very bad about this that left two german villages would get this only one female resident each it's insane so that's the that's the context we want to lay out here this stuff was tragic horrific and looking back from our time in the modern day it could seem like some sort of group insanity but we have to remember the people who were prosecuting these cases didn't just believe that they were acting logically they wanted to i guess formalize this and that leads us to the the book you mentioned Noel the proper name is uh what Malleus Maleficarum that's right and also known as the Hammer of the Witches. Or in German, I love this, Der Hexenhammer. <laughs> there we go. Der Hexenhammer. Do it one more time. Der Hexenhammer. <laughs> so what is this? It is, a, as you said, Ben, a codified book 
of all of these things that we just mentioned, okay? So the writers of this book didn't just invent this stuff out of whole cloth. It was kind of in the zeitgeist already, which is do exist in the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this idea of black magic or of, you know, um, antichrists or of, of some kind of anti-God entity, right? Sorcery, ask Sorcery. an infernal powers. Exactly. Or abilities. Is the word witch in the Bible, Ben? It's a fascinating question, Noel, because— there are various kinds of things that we would call witchcraft and divination in the in the Hebrew Bible, and it's generally mentioned in a disapproving tone. But the problem that we run into is a problem of translation because somebody might translate something that just says like sorcery or soothsaying into witchcraft. Yeah, I've got one here from Leviticus 19.31 that uses the word spiritists. It says, do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Or from Chronicles 33.6, he sacrificed his children in the valley of Ben-Hinnon, practiced divination and witchcraft, sought omens and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. So, mm-hmm. to your point, Ben, translation, but uh, very interesting to, to Google this and see, yes, witchcraft is in that form in the Bible in some right. ways. If not the W word itself, the, the practices, yeah, yeah, the exactly. tone, like Galatians 5.19 mentions it. It's there, there are several places where you can find Bible verses about witchcraft. But to your point, Noel, which I think is a very important point, the authors of this book, who are understood to be two Dominicans, a guy named Johann Sprenger and a guy named Heinrich Kramer, they they weren't just saying, let's give people our opinion of witches. They were they were pulling, as you said, from a a tradition and a system of beliefs that had existed long before them. The book or the document, as some people prefer to call it, was written around 1486. And when they were writing it, they were essentially compiling all these other things into sort of a one-stop shop. But not without their own editorializing, right? Yes, yeah. That's a big part of it because this guy, Heinrich Kramer, um, was sort of like a failed witch hunter, and he never really got the respect that he felt he was due and was kind of a bitter man and decided he wanted to spread the word and kind of get people thinking about these things that were very dear to him, <laughs> persecuting potentially wicked women for whatever reason. Right. You know, he wanted to influence that and kind of have his say on how people were going to look at this. And he put all this in a book along with his partner, Jacob Sprenger. Mm-hmm, that's correct. And there's an interesting part of Kramer's motivation that, that we have to examine here. You know how some unscrupulous people on a get-rich-quick scheme will self-publish a book on Amazon and then use that book as sort of a, a bona fide or a mark of their own credibility? Totally. Ex- expertise. Like, you know, the best way to become a self-help expert is just to write a book that purports to teach people to help themselves. Kramer also wanted, in addition to warning the general public, or at least the literate public, against the danger of witchcraft, he also wanted this book to give him the official authority to hunt witches. And again, this guy has somewhat of a myopic focus, but it also has some alarmist nature to it. It doesn't, over the, what, 256 pages, it 
attempts to do several things. First, it wants to prove that witches and witchcraft are real. Don't be deceived. They are real. They are out to get you. Second, building from that, and says these witches are real. They are infernal. They work with demonic forces. So therefore, they must be killed. And then third, it wants to convince readers that not only are witches real, not only are they dangerous, but they are a sign of the apocalypse, the end of the world. And it does a really interesting thing uh, that creates a real conundrum for when these witch trials start going completely bonkers. It um, points out that the Bible says there are witches. Therefore, if you don't believe in witches, you are an accessory to their uh, evil crimes. Yeah, similar to that um, old Edmund Burke quote, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Only even further, right? Because mm-hmm. this is literally saying if you think it means, you know, if, if, if you're standing up for uh, the truth in saying that this is not real, this there is no witchcraft, or this person definitely is not a witch, then they can accuse you of being a heretic yourself yeah. simply for not believing what you're supposed to believe. If you're not with us, yeah, you're against you're us. Totally against us. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, You know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. 
Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, so if we divide the book, we talked about kind of three aims of the book. Uh, We can also divide the work into three rough sections. The first is, as we said, this explanation that witches are real, they are dangerous. The second is a guide for the experts, the clergy, on how to recognize a witch. And they, they get pretty specific, you know, like devil's marks, which could be anything from a mole to a scar, right? Certain types of behavior or things that occur in their communities. And then the third part, the final part, is a legal manual for how to properly accuse and persecute a witch, and if finding them guilty, spoiler alert, very few people were found innocent, to give them the death penalty. And in the work, there's a really interesting bit of doublethink here because the authors say that you shouldn't be deceived if someone appears to be weak. They say, in fact, the weak people are the most dangerous witches. And what this meant is that a lot of times people who lived on the fringes of society because they were, say, mentally ill or they were very poor, they became the number one targets. And then also, we have to face the facts. Uh, I'm pulling some of this from a really excellent podcast called 15-Minute History with an episode on witch hunting in Europe. The guest on this episode is a guy named John E. Green, uh, professor in history at the University of Texas in Austin. And he points out that a lot of times persecuting witches made things even worse for the community because people who would be considered witches would be like medical practitioners, literally the only health care in the village or in the town or midwives. And, you know, let's say a birth goes wrong through no, no fault of the midwife. If, you know, depending on their luck, they may be accused of purposely killing the child or if you're treating someone who has a disease and they don't get better because, hey, it's an incurable disease, then they flip the script and say they're not better, not because leprosy is incurable at this time, but because you're a witch. Yeah. What a a horrible position to be in, to literally being the, uh, like, first line of defense for helping people and opening yourself up to this kind of scrutiny and ridicule. It reminds me of that scene if we're talking about the tests and, like, the things that were contained in this book, which is also the kinds of tortures and how uh, you should go about torturing a witch to get a proper confession. But it reminds me of that scene in Monty Python, The Holy Grail, Mm -hmm. where they're trying to see if it's a witch. And they're like, does wood sink in water? No, it floats. Well, then throw her in the water and see if she floats. What else floats in water? A duck. And then the king is like, so if she weighs the same as a duck, mm-hmm. then she's a witch. It's like this kind of circular logic. You know, this is satire, mm-hmm. obviously, but that's the kind of stuff that was in this book. And this book, although maybe it started out as somewhat of a specialized tool, this book becomes wildly popular, right? It goes through, what, 28 editions, I think. Uh, there are more than 30,000 copies circulated throughout Europe. Yeah, I think it sold more copies than any book but the Bible up until 1678. Which is insane, especially when you consider what a pain it was to 
make a book at that time. So this also gets some endorsement from the papacy itself. The Pope issues a papal bull. It's a document that the Pope signs themselves stating the official church opinion. And this, this is pre-publication though, right? This is like he, he kind of sanctioned them to do this research. Mm-hmm. And this bull was included in the, uh, in the uh, printing. Yes, yeah. And this book, the Hexenhammer is the only did I, did I do all right on there? Very, very, very oh, right thanks, there. man. Yeah. This book is the only work of its kind to receive the official approval of the Catholic Church. Now, people will tell you that there's some fairly convincing circumstantial evidence that Kramer bribed the Pope to uh, condone the Hammer of the Witches. Yeah, I also read somewhere that it's not even specifically about the hammer of the witches, that they sort of almost like fudged it a little bit to make it seem like it was more about that. But it was actually a little broader and not specifically condoning everything that they were putting forth in this book. But it's like the best New York Times book review you could possibly get or the best celebrity endorsement you could Mm -hmm. ever imagine having is having this thing included inside your book jacket cover. Pope says, good to go. You know, this is this is the this is the one. Yeah, it's kind of like having uh, writing a book about how to be a better person and having uh, an endorsement from Mr. Rogers or something. Not quite, because we're talking about God, you know, and divinity. But while we're talking about fudging this, there's an interesting thing. We we mentioned Jacob Sprenger, or Johann Sprenger, as he's often called. He was, in later editions, mentioned as a collaborator But nowadays, a lot of historians believe that his name was just added as kind of an endorsement. Springer. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I read that too. And that he didn't actually have much to do with the creation of the book. Sort of like how Quentin Tarantino, air quotes, presented The Man with the Iron Fist directed by Rizza. And Tarantino didn't really have anything to do with it. He probably hung out. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure he... They probably had a chair with his name on it on set. And he probably made a rant about something in pop culture, but... that's just what he does. Yeah, that's just kind of how Quentin is. But totally, so what what were the bona fides of Springer again, Ben? I'm sorry if he said it, just uh, just help help me out. I want to understand a little better. Yeah, he was dean of the University of Cologne in Germany, and he was also a friar of some note. And here's the thing, the bull itself... It was more intended to confirm powers that inquisitors or that a guy named Henry Institoris and James Springer, who were inquisitors, already have to, quote, deal with persons of every class and with every form of crime, Uh, for example, with witchcraft as being heresy. And it called upon the Bishop of Strasbourg to lend – this is a quote from from the bull – lend – Inquisitors, all possible support. And the reason that Kramer enlisted Springer was because Springer's name is actually in the bull, but it had nothing to do with the book. It was more about seeking out witchcraft and prosecuting it in general. Because Ah. the law had changed where I believe it used to be more a church, specifically a church Uh, duty to seek these things out, but then it kind of became more of a municipal thing. And when we start seeing the crazy panic of uh, witch hunt pandemonium, that's because it became a lot easier to do. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. And I think that's, that's well put. 
We would be remiss if we didn't mention that one of the things clearly condoned by the book is torture. Oh, yeah. Horrific torture. Yeah. Kramer's favorite was something called the strapado, which is a device that attaches to the wrist and pulls them upwards so the victims hang by their arms until their arms dislocate. Yeah. Anytime we talk about this kind of stuff, I just get the... The, the heebie-jeebies so bad. Like the thumb screws, the ones that would literally shred your hands, you know, by like these right. vices that your hands would go in. And there was one that was some kind of like helmet you would put on with like a drill that would go right into your forehead. Mm-hmm. Um, just barbaric stuff. And another thing that was in the in the book was a caveat saying you don't have to tell the person you're accusing who accused them. Right. It also uh, recommends, oddly enough, deception in order to obtain confessions. So there's a quote here where it says, And when the implements of torture have been prepared, the judge, both in person and through other good men zealous in the faith, tries to persuade the prisoner to confess the truth freely. But if he will not confess, he bid attendants make the prisoner fast to the strapado or other implement of torture, The attendants obey forthwith, yet with feigned agitation. Then, at the prayer of some of those present, the prisoner is loosed again and taken aside and once more persuaded to confess, being led to believe that he will, in that case, not be put to death. That's why so many people confessed, because they got tortured for some amount of time, and then they got pulled aside and someone said, hey, look, if you just come clean about this— We'll stop. It can end now. Of course. You don't have to die. And we already know this about military interrogation, that uh, interrogation under torture does not yield uh, results that are reliable because people will say anything if you'll stop doing the horrible thing to them. Right. Exactly. And that's, I I mean, it's the, I hate to say it, but torture is a tale as old as time. And didn't they also talk about the quote-unquote more carnal inherent nature of women. Absolutely. That's what we were talking about at the top of the show. Um, I feel like that's something it's inherent in this whole persecution of women for witchcraft. But yes, it it, it carries over into this codified, you know, book of all of these different techniques. Um, I was watching a documentary on this book on History Channel, and I forget the guy's name, but he was a scholar who specifically studies this work. And he pointed out all of these very charged words that were used in the text, mm-hmm. the words that didn't have to use. And they were Latin, obviously, um, but words that would mean something like disgusting or filth, you mm-hmm. know, as opposed to just, um, you know, not good, like very charged language or a word that meant um, a temptress or some kind of adulteress, you know, where mm-hmm. it was like this is what these women will turn men into through their, uh, you know, witchly wiles or whatever. Right. So very charged language, very much within it with a, a, a position, you know. And additionally, it's important to note there's a different definition of seduction at play here. It's completely possible, for instance, for someone to have uh, sexually assaulted an innocent person in a village and then say, I'm a good Christian man. She seduced me through the use of witchcraft. Of course. So in addition to me attacking her as a punishment for her powers, she should be put to death. It reminds me of the story we did about women being incarcerated for having sexually transmitted diseases. Right. Where that was flipped as well and used by men 
to treat – like men would give women these sexually transmitted diseases and then act like they had given it to them or use it to ostracize them in some way. There was one story I believe where a man like left a woman on the side of the road or something like that. Yeah. It's another – one of these really effed up power dynamics that is, again, tale as old as time. And we see it all codified in this book here. Like this is the way to do it. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. Big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's a pretty interesting argument from Atlas Obscura by Sarah Laskow about about the hammer of the witches, which, you know what, while we're at it, shouldn't it be the hammer for the witches, just grammatically? Yeah, the witches do not have the power. Here. Right. So what they found was that the Malus Maleficarum was once thought to be the handbook for witch hunters, 
but more recent research has found that maybe it wasn't as influential as we initially thought. Because you're right, Noel, that um, that papal bull from 1484, and the book was written in 1486, published in 1487, that papal bull allows witchcraft prosecutions, but as you said, doesn't specifically say this is the book. But it named that guy Springer, which is the reason that Kramer needed to have him as his co-author, because Mm -hmm. that allowed him to use that as a manipulation. And I I think we've made it clear, but this thing caught on like wildfire and spread even to like the new world. Right. You know, which is where the Salem stuff comes in. I mean, this became a thing and it was literally this like bestseller, but not just one that people were talking about around the water cooler. This actually caused the deaths of what was that figure at the top of the show, Ben? Uh, Hundreds the, of thousands yeah, the of early, women. The early modern period, approximately a hundred thousand, fifty thousand of whom That's were it. executed. Excuse me, yeah. I overstated the number of people. No, you yeah. got it. You got no, it. No, I, I think I said hundreds of th- but hundreds of thousands of women who were persecuted mm-hmm. and a lesser number who were actually killed, but in the most gruesome and, and uh, horrific ways imaginable. Right. And to the point about the perceived importance of the book. As it was catching on with the public, it looks like some members of the clergy were becoming increasingly, I don't know, skeptical of the book would be, oddly enough, a good word. Leaders of the Spanish Inquisition didn't put too much stock in the hammer, and by at least the 1530s, they were actively warning their own officials away from it because maybe they saw it as sort of um, a personal mission of Kramer's maybe a little more self-interest than public interest, but it was still influential enough that people would commission specific copies of it. And I guess it is important for us to mention that while the vast majority of people prosecuted for witchcraft were women, there were dudes in there too, and they were also put to death. Absolutely. It was kind of anything goes. Um, I've got a couple of resources that uh, I'd like to plug really quick if sure. you're interested in finding out more about this stuff. Um, I know you and I both love the, the A24 film, The Witch. I feel like that displays these attitudes very strongly. There's mm-hmm. a young girl character who kind of is represents that sexuality that we're talking about. And there are some kind of telling shots that show that that's not only an issue for the man – it's an issue for the the mother because the mother is uh, almost even uh, is, as much um, threatened by that as as any you know authority mm-hmm. figure male might be, and that becomes a theme. And this idea of a witch harming crops or livestock is represented, and just the kind of idea of this witch being. Is it real? Is it not real? Is it just religious zealotry run amok? Mm-hmm. That's the thing that's fun about that movie. But there's also the subtle argument for ergot poisoning. That's right. That's right, that they're all hallucinating on some kind of poisoned uh, crop, poisoned corn that has hallucinogenic effects, Um, which is one of the the, uh, possible um, explanations for the Salem witch trials, which here in How Stuff Works, our buddy Matt works on a show about Salem called Unobscure with Aaron Mankey of lore uh, fame and our pal Alex Williams, who composed our theme. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And now... Thankfully, uh, this book is, surprise, surprise, no longer considered an authoritative, uh, an authoritative guide to persecuting people for perceived supernatural abilities. Yeah, you don't hear so much about people burning witches anymore, thankfully. But, you know, there are still witch hunts uh, of other 
varieties and all this stuff is very interesting to learn from and apply to uh, modern day um, politics and things, uh, which is something that they parallel in that show, Unobscured, that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And for his part, Kramer kept writing and preaching until he died in Bohemia in 1505. His gambit to increase his reputation or maybe to justify his failed attempts at witch hunting did seem to succeed. It's weird because we said the papal bull on um, persecution of witchcraft was published in the 1487 edition, but we didn't mention that by 1490, the church had officially condemned the hammer of the witches. Was it because they were genuinely concerned for the damage it was doing to communities, or was it because he was late with yet another bribe? That we don't know. Well, what we do know is that there was rampant corruption in the Catholic Church and the papacy, and, you know, likely still is, given what we know about some of the scandals that that keep coming to light. So (laughs) it's, uh, you know, the more things change and all that. And this brings us to... Where's the silver lining here, Ben? We need a silver lining. Uh, I have a comic recommendation. Oh, good. (laughs) See, that's why the comic recommendation is helpful. It's our insurance plan. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So I'm a fan of uh, murky and dark stuff, and I would like to recommend today the comic Sir Edward Grey Witchfinder. So, Noel, you, you, you know Hellboy and maybe Baltimore and all those other things. I know Hellboy. Okay. So Witchfinder is a spinoff from Hellboy, and it concerns a guy named Sir Edward Grey, who is the Queen's official expert on all things supernatural because of various interactions he has had saving people from the nefarious activities of witches. Edward Grey does not, spoiler alert, use uh, the Hammer of the Witches, the Hexenhammer, but it's a great story. As a matter of fact, man, if you want to borrow some of the trades, I have them. Sure. As soon as I return lock and key to you. Oh, that's right. I, that's can't, right. Be, I can't be in double dutch <laughs> to you, comic book-wise. Oh, lock and key is so great. But that's my comic recommendation for today. As far as we know, there is not, thank goodness, a graphic novel adaptation of the Malleus Maleficarum. I think the Constantine comics are really fun. That's great. And uh, it involves a a lot of different supernatural exploration and things like that. Um, I've always been a huge fan of Sandman and and Neil Gaiman's work. And uh, Constantine was in that briefly. And he has his own series that's really great and has witchcraft and devilry and uh, Lucifer and all of these great uh, deities. But they have real personality. So that's a fun (laughs) one. I wouldn't bother with the movie with Keanu Reeves. I would would watch the movie after reading the comics or just recognize it's a very different thing. And I have heard that the TV series that got canceled was okay. It was. I I I liked it. I didn't see it. I liked it. Whomever they picked to be the lead actor for that, the Mm -hmm. protagonist. He's got to be real cockney. He can't be Keanu Reeves. Genuinely looks like John Constantine. Yeah. Keanu Reeves is a weird choice. Um, It's a weird choice. I hear he's a great guy, though. Yo, he seems like a lovely dude. (laughs) That sad Keanu on the bench meme is is just delightful. There we go. Now we're ending on a better note. We just had to make ourselves cheer up. (laughs) I think that's what it was. We hope that it worked for you as well, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to our super producer and avowed opponent of witch hunts, Casey Pegram. Thanks to our research pal, Gabe Lucier, for hipping us to some of the details in this uh, kind of depressing but incredible story. Mm -hmm. Um, We already thanked Alex. 
we did, but we get to think Let's him do again. do it again. It was weird thinking him out of context. No, I think it was great, yeah. you know? I still, I, I feel like we should let him know that we still do this, because you said he just nodded once. That's just what he does. He's just, he's a nodder. He's a nodder. I mean that as a compliment. Yeah. But both he and our long-suffering uh, uh, buddy, Matt, um, both work on this Salem show, Unobscured, with Aaron Mangy. So check that out uh, if you want to do a deep dive into the Salem witch trials and how it kind of dovetails a bit with American politics right now. It's a very interesting show. Um, and thanks to you, Ben, for being a friend. Thanks to you, Noel, and uh, thanks to everyone in society. Ever. Who decided to stop burning people alive. Oh, look at just them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that deserves a thank you. And stay tuned for our next episode. Uh, we can't tell you what it is yet for various reasons. Is it because we don't know? Primarily, it's because we haven't picked one yet. Yeah. <laughs> but we can promise uh, that we hope it will be interesting. It'll be an episode. <laughs> See you then, folks. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.